Blog Talk Radio. Well, hi, everybody. It's time once again to start riding the wave. Another day, another chance. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to Riding the Wave. I'm Mark Healy, the editor-in-chief of the Wave newspaper, Rockaway's newspaper since 1893. Joining us today is a Republican candidate for the Queens District Attorney. His name is Joe Murray, and he's uh, here on the Riding the Wave with us uh, today to tell us a little bit about uh, his candidacy uh, for upcoming Election Day. Welcome, Joe. Hey, Mark. How are you? Thanks for having me. Now, Joe, um, I know that there was a kind of, um, this is kind of a quick campaign for you, you know, the decision to run was something that um, kind of only came together in the last several weeks. Talk about, uh, I guess, your decision as to why you wanted to run. Well, a couple things that were going on that uh, kind of uh, interest me in running. Uh, I've been a criminal defense attorney practicing in the same office across the street in the Silver Tower, which is right across from the courthouse. I primarily practice in Queens, although I've tried felony cases in the Bronx, Brooklyn, Manhattan, um, Stat- uh, not Stat- uh, the Eastern District of New York. I've tried federal cases, so I have diverse experience, but because the bulk of my practice is Queens, I really was scrutinizing things that I did not like in that office. And I thought that maybe I might run, uh, but immediately once I learned that Greg Lasak was running, uh, he's a, a man that uh, has been a prosecutor for 25 years, he's been a judge for 14 years, I've appeared in front of him, uh, I call him a friend, uh, I thought it was wonderful that he was running, I immediately just uh, fell in with him and supported his campaign, and what was really horrifying to me is is how desperate each one of these Democratic candidates were racing to the left. It was all about the defendant, the defendant's rights, the defendant's interests, how do we help the defendant. They could care less about the victims and uh, the process. And we went away from, you know, I used to teach criminology, and uh, and there's principles of, of uh, criminological um, theories of deterrence, retribution that justify what we do in prosecution and crimes and punishment. They seem to be abandoned altogether, and now we're just shifting to this restorative justice. How do we help the defendant? Instead of deterring them with a severe prison sentence, we're now just looking to help them. And I I disagree with that 100%, and I think one of the things that really bothered me was this closing of Rikers Island. 
It was just insane, and I can't get a straight answer from anyone because every time they give me an answer, I dispute it with facts. I'm a defense attorney. I have clients on Rikers Island. So I'm looking for the ulterior motive that, that is behind all this. Um, another thing that really, really bothered me is I'm a retired police officer. I saw the, the, the actual anti-police conduct that was going on, this water bucket dumping and disrespect where people are interfering with police officers taking action who are on the street, you know, rolling around with, with people they're trying to arrest. Nobody's helping them. They're actually just videotaping and actually some of them are trying to prevent the police officers. So this is anarchy. This is not how we we conduct ourselves in a civilized society and it bothers me. So more shocking than that was the fact that we have five districts attorney, each one in each borough, and not one of them came out publicly to renounce this and condemn it and say very loudly to the people, we will not tolerate this in my borough. You do not treat police officers this way in my borough. And I think the police officers that are out there doing a hell of a job and, you know, due to certain events that have been happening, uh, they feel demoralized. And just looking at those cops in those videos, how the one young kid that had the bucket dumped on his head just defeated completely and, and walking away from that. That would never happen in my day. And I think we need a little bit more of that to come back, to set the pace and let people know that this is not the way to conduct yourselves. So that altogether uh, was part of my motivation to running, but when Greg Lasek lost, and he lost pretty badly in the primary, I encouraged him to talk to the Republicans and see if they'll reach over and have him run, and he just was undecided. I think he was very uh, deflated after the, the results of the primary, um, and he didn't want to go. So once the recount was done, uh, Greg decided he didn't want to do it, and I said, well, Greg, if if you're not going to do it, I have to do it. Uh, and, and I mean that, that I had to do it because I didn't want to do it, really. Uh, I love what I do. I love my practice. I'm a retired police officer. I have my pension, my benefits. I have my own practice that I love. I do civil stuff. I do criminal stuff. And I really enjoy what I do. Uh, but seeing what's happening here, it's just shocking uh, what's going on. The anti-police sentiments and even recently, we had uh, Letitia James and Eric Gonzalez, uh, Brooklyn uh, District Attorney, file a lawsuit against ICE to prevent ICE from entering the courthouses to apprehend people. I, I, I don't know why this is not so shocking to anyone else, but I just can't believe it. So I had one of the reporters, the local papers, calls me up, and uh, he says, Joe, we, we'd love to get you on record with this. If you're... First of all, they love talking to me because they get me. When they call, they get me. They don't get a spokesperson, they get me, and I answer their questions right off the cuff. So he asked me, he says, well, if you're elected, would you join this lawsuit? And I said, absolutely not. These are federal officers acting pursuant to federal law about a federal issue, something in the Constitution called the Supremacy Clause, which gives the federal government supremacy. The state can't interfere. And federal office is acting in that way. 
on top of the fact that the remedy they seek defeats the purpose of them doing it. Their argument is that by federal officers coming into the criminal court, it intimidates and prevents undocumented people from participating in the process as either victims or witnesses. Okay, so let's just say if that's true. The remedy they seek is to have these federal officers go out in the neighborhood, in the community, to apprehend these individuals. Now, where do you think these victims and witnesses live? In the community. So what, what are we doing here? Second thing is the safety concern. You're talking about apprehending people who are criminals that are, are charged with crimes. When you go into a courthouse, you go through a metal detector and you're surrounded by court officers all around. So apprehending them there is the safest place to apprehend them versus now forcing ICE to go out in the street, in the neighborhood, in the community, the people that they're pledging to protect, now you're subjecting them to harm uh, because of flight issue or fight issue. So shockingly, I mean, I said to the reporter, I said, this is clearly pandering. It is pandering. And the, the people that they're pledging to be so protective of, they're endangering them. So, uh, you know, things like that just really bothered me about this. And, and that's why I, I hope to bring some common sense back to the district attorney's office. And, and that's why I'm on it. So, you know, a lot of what you're discussing, as you said, uh, was uh, part of the... Um, I think the platform of almost everyone uh, that was running on the Democratic side for the primary. Uh, and I had asked that question as well. I had asked the question about, you know, I hear a lot about um, the rights of um, the defendants and, and the rights of uh, people who are accused of crimes. Uh, but I haven't heard, uh, and there really wasn't one outside of, of Greg, uh, who talked about um, protecting citizens, protecting people uh, law-abiding citizens right. and I don't mean to be ironic but when I say the word citizens you know that you know I'm talking about people who follow the rules people who want to live in a community without you know crime and you know quality of life crimes are still crimes you know people who you know are you know stealing a car are still that that that's a crime you know and you're prov you're, you're taking away someone's freedom by doing that. And so I don't understand why, um, as you said, uh, the, the rhetoric has been that, you know, has been about, you know, protecting, you know, restorative justice uh, for young people uh, has a place, I think, um, and I've had conversations with it. We've done stories on it about restorative justice. But I think once you commit a crime, once you commit a felony, um, you know, it's hard for me to kind of, you know, coming from a law enforcement family myself, uh, you know, we've had people all over uh, working in all different kinds of, um, you know, whether it's the police, whether it's the law, uh, whether it's as an, uh, as an attorney. So, I mean, I, that's the point of view that I come from. I don't have a lot of family members or friends that are, you know, criminals. So, I guess that's where, that's why... I come from my point of view, and you're a former police officer, now a defense attorney, so you kind of are coming from that area as well. Um, but my question is that 
how do you get, and you know, it was 11% of the voter turnout, there was 80,000 votes, which is pathetic in the, in the borough of Queens that has, you know, over a million people that live in it. Um, how do you get the vote out? How do you get people who were apathetic enough that only 11% of the voters showed up uh, in that primary uh, to come out for the general election and vote for you? That's a great question, and it's something that we all wrestle with as to how to get more uh, inclusive uh, participation. And look at what we're doing now. This early voting is another attempt to engage people who maybe because that Tuesday, uh, first Tuesday of the month is, is just inconvenient for them in some way. So now we have Saturday voting on this early voting. Uh, but even with that, the numbers that I w were given, I don't want to cite the source, but was only 1,845 people countywide that came out for that Saturday. So that's dismal. If you're an I if that's your issue for not voting, and it was because I can't come during the week, well, that's that's a, a mere fraction, a drop in the bucket. So I don't know if it's that people just don't yet know about it. But I, I would say that the district attorney's office is probably the most powerful office, elected office, in the city, particularly Queens, because you're not bound by the borders of the county. There's other ways to get jurisdiction. Uh, the legislature has, has fashioned a number of ways, and, and look what we have. We have waterways. We're surrounded by water. We have two international airports. Logistically, to get out to Long Island, you've got to go through Queens County. Like, there's a lot of ways that I can get jurisdiction as the Queens District Attorney. And one of the things that I think people are so um, upset about, and I, I take a poll and I go out and I talk to people, is about corruption. The first thing I do is I ask them after I introduce myself, is I want to take a poll. Raise your hand if you believe we have corrupt politicians in New York. And I do this on purpose. A lot of people will, will automatically raise their hand. I, I hold my hand up and I keep it up because I want them to look around. And they do. They start looking around and they see that it's unanimous. Everybody believes they're corrupt politicians and they start laughing. So then the next question I ask them is I say, raise your hand if you know the name of the last corrupt politician was prosecuted by a district attorney. Not the U.S. attorney, not, <laughs> not the federal government, right. a district attorney. And the laughter goes again. And this is funny because a lot of times this happens while politicians are in the room and they're still raising their hands about corrupt politicians. So I say, why is that okay? Why have we just accepted that? And I think that's part of the reason why people just don't care and don't vote because they think politicians their idea of public service is the public serves us. And they're pandering and, and uh, you know, filling their own pockets and taking care of their own special interests while the rest of us suffer. So people are like, screw that, I'm not even going to bother. So one of the things that I want to do is to help the voter participation is my platform for anti-corruption. I've already put it out there that I'm going to be forming what I call my untouchable squad. These are hard-charging, uh, experienced investigators, accountants, internet, you know, cyber guys. I want to put together an incredible team 
that we're going to use to proactively seek out evidence of corruption wherever it leads. And I just say that, you know, pointing out that I am a Democrat running on the Republican line. And that's important uh, to understand. I am not a Republican. I am a Democrat running on the Republican line. So what does that mean? The Queen's Democratic machine hates me. They hate me and they're so afraid of me because they know our adverse relationship means I don't know anybody anything. And if I find evidence of corruption, they're going to be the first ones to know about it. And uh, similarly, the Republican Party, I don't owe anybody there anything. I have no relationship with them other than I applied uh, through uh, this primary to run on their line. I got the Wilson Pakula. They're great people. I like them. But uh, I owe them nothing either where I would have some political conflict. So I am going out there. My team is going to go out there proactively. We're going to do sting operations. We're going to go after and, and root out this corruption. That is what's motivating people. People that haven't voted in a long time are telling me that that's what excites them about this. We want accountability. Now, to make an arrest, obviously, I've been a police officer, made a lot of arrests. You need probable cause of a crime, the elements of a crime. To get an indictment, as you, I'm sure you're familiar with Judge Saul Wachler, who said the grand jury would indict a ham sandwich if the prosecutor wanted it to. And if that's all true, why aren't we locking up more politicians? I just don't get it. Well, I'm going to flip that switch, and I'm coming after them. And, and like I said, as far as voter participation, I think because the primary was in the summer, a lot of people are just disinterested, they're, they're relaxing on vacation, they're doing other things, and they're not really fully engaged. But now, come November, people are hearing about what's happening. They're waking up to these new laws like no cash bail. On January 1st, 2,000 people are going to walk out of jail, they're going to be handed a metro card and said, come back next month. It shocks me. I just don't understand it. It makes no sense. We have some very good judges that use their discretion. And uh, the more I talk about it, the more I see evidence of it in the news. Take, for example, this, this young man in, in uh, Brooklyn who you see him on video throwing the woman into the train. He has six open cases. Six open cases. I ran his name just to look. It's a public access website. You can go in there and look six open cases. He was only issued $5,000 bail. Somehow he made it and he's out. That wouldn't happen in Queens. And I'll tell you right now, the judges in Queens County, if you go to an arraignment and you have six open cases, you're presenting as a flight risk because, and he has a warrant history where he failed to appear. So that's who's on Rikers Island. The, the public is being lied to by these uh, progressives who are saying, oh, they're only poor. Those are the only people who are on there. No, they're not. There are people who are there who have very serious, violent prison records, who have gone upstate, gone to prison because of their prior felony convictions. Their sentences on the current charge are going to be enhanced. They're going to be subject to more severe incarceratory sentences. So that's an issue that judges look at when they make bail decisions. I'm glad you brought that up. Because to a layperson who doesn't have a legal background, um, when I saw that incident, 
um, to me that's an assault. That's an assault. Uh, absolutely. And and a violent crime, which to me that's a violent crime. That should not fall under the purvey of no cash bail because that's a violent crime. We're not talking about a guy who had a joint in his pocket. We're not talking about a guy who, you know, uh, you know, grabbed grabbed a, a, a sandwich, uh, you know, off the off the. Uh, off the, you know, off a vendor's cart or something. This is this was a violent crime that, you know, timing could have created a death here or a real physical impairment. So I mean, that that's what I'm concerned about is that where where does that line where's that line drawn? I mean, is that something that that you know you would immediately change? Is that something you you would be able to immediately change? Well, that's a legislative issue that we have to address and. Cases like this, I'm actually writing up, I'm trying to get this done, amongst a million other things, an editorial about this, because this is clearly what we're talking about. This is not a guy that was on Rikers Island because he's poor. He's on Rikers Island because he's had 20 arrests. He cares nothing for the law, has no respect for the law, so why would he care when a judge says, you need to come back, or there's an order of protection that you need to stay away from this person, don't go to their home or place of business. Why would anybody have confidence to believe that he would do these things and adhere to that when he does it as a total disregard for the law and the fact that a judge told him to come back to court and he didn't come back to court. So that's why in Queens County, I'm sure, because we operate much differently than the other uh, outer boroughs, we would have had a higher bail set on this person and he'd be sitting in Rikers Island and that poor woman would not have had to gone through what she's gone through uh, with that assault. So the system works. What they're trying to do by these laws is they're taking discretion away from good, hard-working judges who sit in the courtroom every day, they encounter defendants every day, they have a good feel for the work that they do, and they use their judgment. Now, are there some judges that will set excessive bail? Yes. And you know what you do as a criminal practitioner, which Ms. Katz unfortunately is not? You would file a writ of habeas corpus, and I've done it, where another judge will now look at the facts and circumstances that the bail-setting judge had in front of them, and they'll make a decision whether or not it was an abuse of discretion and lower the bail. There's due process in that courtroom. The system is made up with a, with a bunch of checks and balances that work. The legislature, with one felt swoop, just took all of that away from these judges. Why do we have judges? Why don't we just put robots in there? I mean, we count on them with their experience and intellect to look at it. Now, just to educate you a little more, when someone goes up for bail and they're arrested, there's a, this, the Criminal Justice Agency, a nonprofit group, comes in and interviews the defendant. And they'll talk to them and ask them basic questions about their contacts with, with New York and Queens County. They'll put their, where they live, how long they live there, where they work, how long they work there, what they earn. And then they'll go through their record. How many times do you fail to appear? How many convictions do you have? And put this all together on a sheet that they give to the judge, the prosecutor, and the defense attorney. And we rely on it and we use it to set bail. So I hear the arguments from the left saying, well, why should somebody, I think Melinda Katz did this, why should somebody who's in on a, a million dollar bail crime who has a million dollars post that million dollars and walk out while someone else who's poor can't make the bail? Well, guess what? That's another falsity that, that she's, you know, 
propagating to people, but what it is the judge will look at the CJA sheet. Oh, I see this guy works and he makes $300 a week. So the judge knows I'm not going to set $10,000 bail for a guy that makes $300 a week. Bail is supposed to be used as coercion to make somebody come back to court. It, it should be an amount that you can afford to pay, but it's, it's enough of an amount that you're not going to walk away from. And that's what judges do. They look at the means of the person and they'll look at, you know, does he live at home? Do they own their home? And, and factors like that. People are getting lost on this idea that people on Rikers Island are there because they're poor. That's not the case. It's their record, their past conduct, and, and their current conduct. Like I gave the example during the debate. I've had this where I represented a client, he got released on his own recognizance, got rearrested back in front of the judge. Okay, he's got an open case. Now the judge is like, you know what, I'm going to set $500 bail. Family comes in, posts it. He gets arrested again. The family told me, you know what, I'm tired of this. Let him sit there for a little while. That's what who's on Rikers Island. Or, in other circumstances, a judge may say, you know what, now I'm going to raise your bail. You're going you're to pay a higher bail. And if you can't make it, well, whose fault is that? You were released twice, and you still go out and commit crimes. I just think the public is being lied to so much about what's happening and who's on Rikers Island. These are not people smoking a joint or jumping a turnstile. These are people that have serious records or, or serious track records of not appearing in court. You know, you make a, certainly make a great argument for, uh, you know, certainly for a closer look at each individual case and how they, and how they come across someone's desk. Obviously. Can I just stop you? That's, you hit it right on the head. A closer look. That's who you're elected as a district attorney. We are not robots. We have to have some discretion and use of resources. That's why it's important to look at the person you're electing. Look at that person's experience and track record because that person will come into office and here's my objection with the current uh, administration. They're two numbers driven. Everything is numbers. Numbers of conviction, numbers of arrest. I may have a case that doesn't warrant a prosecution, but they're so desperate to get at least some type of, oh, well, how about pleading to disorderly conduct and we'll get rid of the case, because they're worried about numbers. Right. That's one of my issues. I don't care about the numbers. If people are going to vote me out of office because my numbers are, are, are not good, I learned my lesson from the police department, what numbers and how devastating numbers can be. They're helpful when they, when you use them as a tool, but if you if you live and die by the number, you're going to end up hurting people. And they force cases to go forward that shouldn't go forward, and they end up with not guilty verdicts because now the people see, wait a minute, I don't rely on this evidence. This officer testifying about what he saw, and then another cop comes in and saw something different. They know that, but they're pushing this case because I won't accept the plea to what they're asking for. So I, I don't like that this office lives and dies by numbers, and you'll see it. They put the numbers out all the time. But you're electing somebody with discretion. Prosecutorial discretion is a powerful tool. You have to look at the person you're electing to see. Are there people that are excessively held on bail? Well, that's because the DA is asking for a ridiculously high bail. So you need somebody who can feel it out and has the ability like I do, both as a police officer and a criminal defense attorney, to weigh these cases out, 
and trust your line DAs to use their discretion and, and make the appropriate judgment call. So as we as we uh, finish up, you know, I, I I always I always make it a point um, for people who are running for office, especially somebody like yourself, is the first time you're running for office. How do people keep up with what you're doing? How can they uh, donate to your campaign? How can they keep track or read more about what you're doing as far as this race is concerned? That's a great, great, uh, I, I love that because uh, my campaign is just so crazy. I, like you said, I got in, it was really just, you know, me talking to Greg about, are you going to do it? If you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. So I had so much trouble scrambling to get my team together. I do have a website, www. Joe for the number four, Joe for QDA.com. And then same thing on Facebook, Joe for QDA. I've been trying to update and, and put as much material out there as I can. I'm doing shows like yours, uh, doing interviews with newspapers, just trying to get out there in front of as many people as I can. The wonderful thing about my campaign is, and I keep saying it, I'm a Democrat running on a Republican line. Le last week, was it last week? Uh, we spoke at the Ridgewood Democrat Club, and I went there specifically because I knew Melinda Katz was going there, and I wanted to, to give them an alternative to the Katz uh, platform, and I went there. Initially, I wasn't allowed to go in. They're like, wait, you're the Republican. I'm like, no, I'm a Democrat. The seat is safely a Democratic seat. Why not let your members choose between which Democrat they should vote for? And after explaining it in that fashion, I was allowed to go in there and speak to them. And after I spoke to them, I talked to them about, you know, how they felt, what are the issues, and a lot of the people were telling me that we're so happy you're running. We're so happy because of everything Melinda Katz says is about the defendants, the defendants' rights. They're getting rammed uh, down their throats with these shelters and everything else. So they're like, quietly, they're like, a lot of Democrats are going to vote for you. So I, I, I think it's wonderful. I want people to learn more about me. I'm trying to get out there. If anyone has a group or organization they want me to speak in front of, I'll, I'll do my best to get there. But thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate it. Joe, it was a pleasure having you on the program, and thanks for making the time to be here today. Thank you.